0: All right, the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is essentially an oracle against Edom and all nations like Edom who trust in their own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God and the word of God. It's a denunciation of Edom in verses 1 to 14, but Obadiah the prophet transitions in verses 15 and following to address the nations, and then finally, the elect people of God. starting in about verse 17, 17 to 21. Verses 1 to 9, they encapsulate denunciation against the arrogance of Edom. Then verses 10 to 14, the evil deeds of Edom, based on their false wisdom. Then verses 15 and 16, a warning to all the nations, not to behave like Edom, and then 17 to 21, oracle of restoration or redemption, blessing to those who know the Lord. That's what Obadiah is all about. Obadiah was likely written about 840 B.C. 840 B.C. And this would mean that he would likely be the same Obadiah as is mentioned in First Kings chapter 18, who was an official or servant in the court of Ahab. In the time of Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, he was one who feared the Lord, and then God also likely gave him this oracle against one of the nations, primarily the nation of Edom, that surrounded them and was at war with them. That's likely who this Obadiah was, a man who feared God. This would be the same one who was a contemporary of Elijah the prophet, in fact, had a dialogue with Elijah in 1 Kings 18. Okay, that's the setting. Let's now read verse 1 and following. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build High, like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined! Would they not steal only until they had enough? If great gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked, and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border. And the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shephelah, the Philistine plain. Also, they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion, to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Amen. In verse 1, Obadiah calls his own prophecy, his own oracle, a vision. A vision. God revealed himself in visions and dreams to the prophets. In Numbers chapter 12, God says that this is his typical manner of revelation to the prophets, with the exception of Moses. In Numbers twelve six to 8, he says the following. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant against Moses? Moses is unique in that God did not speak to him in visions and dreams and dark sayings. God told him face to face as a man speaks to his friend whatever the oracles were that he had for Moses to deliver and write to the to the people. Well, Obadiah is in the train of the prophets in seeing visions. In fact, according to 1 Samuel nine, 9 1 Samuel 9.9, 9, in olden days, prophets were called seers, S-E-E-R-S, seers, because they saw visions. Then later, they were called prophets. 1 Samuel nine. 9 formerly In Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, Come, and let us go to the seer. For he who is called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. That's what Obadiah is. These words are God's words, which he says in the next phrase or clause. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. He does not mitigate, he does not compromise, he delivers the word of God, thus says the Lord God. His concern is to deliver God's words, not his words, not man's words, but God's words. And it's concerning Edom. Edom is the national name, usual the usual national name of the nation southeast adjacent to the land of Israel, but southeast of Israel and also adjacent to the Dead Sea. It was on the eastern and southeastern side of the Dead Sea, southeast of the land of Canaan. This is the land called Edom. According to Genesis 36, verse 1, the patriarch Esau, who was the brother of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's brother was Esau, the firstborn. Edom and Esau, in terms of national terms, are referring to the same nation, the name of the same nation, Edom or Esau. But primarily, in biblical and extra-biblical literature, Edom is the main name for the nation. However, we'll see such as verse 8, verses 8 and 9, this nation Edom is also called Esau. And also in verse 9, one of of its biggest cities, Teman, is mentioned there. Teman is one of the biggest cities and a hub of intellectual knowledge, wisdom, as he says in verses 8 and 9. That's why Teman is singled out by the prophet, because it was a seat, a major city, a metropolis of wisdom in the land of Edom. Now he says, verse 1, We have heard a report from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. This report, once more, is from the Lord, and he sends envoys, or messengers, ambassadors, to the nations so that the nations have access to the Word of God. And usually this access to the Word of God is an, a judgment oracle, an oracle of condemnation against the nations, such as this one is. This is not the first time an envoy, a messenger, an ambassador, a missionary has been sent Among the nations from the Jews. Here he's saying it's going from the nation of Israel to Edom, correct? But we also see in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah the prophet was sent to Nineveh, an Assyrian, a northern Mesopotamian city, an Assyrian city, which was also a mighty city. He was sent there to preach repentance. So these oracles, though they were hand-delivered and immediately accessible to the people of Israel, they were not exclusively known to the people of Israel. Sometimes they were preached by Missionaries or prophets sent by God to those other nations. Here is one more final example Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27, 1 to 3. Jeremiah 27, 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me make for yourself bonds and yokes and put them on your neck and send word to the king of Edom, to the king of Moab, to the king of the sons of Ammon, to the king of Tyre, and to the king of Sidon, by the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. In this case, he's saying, send this word of this oracle of chapter 27, send this by the messengers or the ambassadors that come from these nations. They come to see King Zedekiah of Judah. Since they are here in our locality on business, well, I've got some business. God's saying to Jeremiah, I've got some business for you, Jeremiah, to deliver to those ambassadors from the other nations so that they can receive God's word and go back to their nations to preach this word. We have that same in Obadiah. So, what is it? What's the content of it? Verse 1, it says, Among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Quote, unquote. Arise and let us go against her for battle. That means that Obadiah has a word from God to tell Edom that it's time for the enemies of Edom to arise, go against her. Nations and cities are often referred to in the feminine. So go against her for battle. Well, why would that happen? Because of their sin. Because of their sin, they deserve turmoil. They deserve hardship. They deserve warfare. And lose in warfare. Because he's predicting that they will lose and lose miserably. Verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. Who will make Edom small, insignificant, worthless, Um, garbage to the nations, among the nations? God, I will make you small. They think they're great, but God will make them small. They think they're big, but they are small in the sight of God. And God says, you are greatly despised. Who greatly despises Edom? God does. Why? Why? God greatly despises them, but why? Verse 3 The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. God greatly despises the arrogance of the human heart. The arrogance of the human heart. How does the arrogance of the human heart manifest itself? God explains. Not only does arrogance deceive the one who is arrogant, but then his arrogance displays itself. Verses 3 to 9, the display of the arrogance. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, where do they live? Esau is a mountain, or Edom is a mountainous country. Verse eight says, mountain of Esau. Verse nine, mountain of Esau. That area was a mountainous region, usually a barren mountainous region. It wasn't a fertile mountain. It didn't have lots and lots of trees and forests. It was a barren mountain. But what did the Edomites do in verse three? They would go to these high mountains secluded, rocky places for their dwelling places, for their fortresses, for their security, they would go on a high place. And usually, if you're in a high place, you're on higher ground than your enemy, usually who wins? If you have about the same kind of skill, same kind of military, same kind of weapons, who's gonna win? Those on higher ground or lower ground? Those on higher ground, usually, right? So they had self-confidence in their lofty refuges in the mountains, in the rocky mountains. That's what they had. Not only that, but they knew it in their heart. Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Nobody's going to undermine me I have all that I need and I will withstand and defeat any enemies that try to come up the mountain who shoot from below Well, I will shoot from above. They might throw slings and rocks and missiles from below, but I will do it from above. That's what they're thinking. Who will bring me down to earth? What are they missing? What are they missing? Don't they realize that God is the God of heaven? And don't they realize that in Genesis 11, Genesis 11, 1 to 9, that God came down. He said, let us go down and see, God said. In Genesis 11, God came down to see the large, tall tower of Babel. And what did God do when he came down? He had to come down. It wasn't tall enough for God. He came down, and then once he did come down, he destroyed it, right? But they don't realize that because they are too deceived by their own arrogance or pride. Verse four, though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down declares the Lord. God can cut down anybody. And he has done so in the past. He did it in Genesis 11. He did it in Genesis 6 to 9 in the flood. He did it to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18 and 19. He can destroy and cut down people as he wishes. In fact, Edom is right there near Sodom and Gomorrah. Why couldn't they remember? Why couldn't they reflect? They should have known, they would have known that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They think if they nest high like the eagle among the stars, so high into the sky, nobody's going to defeat them. But God will. I will bring you down. And how much of a devastation will occur? How, how devastated, how destroyed will they be? Verses 5 and 6. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, you, oh, how you will be ruined! Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out! Typically, robbers or thieves just take what they want. They don't usually rob a house completely bare, correct? And even when harvesters are harvesting, they leave gleanings, correct? They leave a remnant, the residual part of the harvest, because their main task is to get the harvest, the bulk of the harvest. But though reapers or harvesters leave gleanings, though robbers leave much of the house behind, God's saying that when he punishes Edom or Esau, it, they will be completely ransacked, their hidden treasures searched out. He's not going to leave anything, a speck of anything valuable to them. Nothing. Also, he's going to make Edom's enemies turn against him. God will make Edom's enemies turn against him. Verse seven: All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who ate the, they who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. In the book of Judges, Judges chapter 9, we have a wicked man, Abimelech, who was the son of Gideon. Abimelech, the son of Gideon, he murdered 70 of his brothers, 70 of his relatives, 70 men. He murdered them, and He used some men of Israel to ally with him. But eventually, God made those men who were his allies turn against him. Judges 9.22. Judges 9.22. Now, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Then... God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech in order that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come, and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers." And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who might pass by them along the road, and it was told to Abimelech. The rest of the chapter describes the misery and defeat and even the humiliating death of Abimelech by the hands of a woman. A woman, a civilian woman, killed Abimelech. And how did this happen? Because God sent an evil spirit. Between these allies, God sent an evil spirit to make them enemies of each other, to make them be suspect of each other, to hate each other. Same here in Obadiah 7. Verses 8 and 9. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. On that day that God punishes Edom, He's going to destroy their wise men, their men of understanding, their mighty men, verse 9. He's going to cut them off by slaughter. Likely because their own mighty men slaughtered innocent people. Because they slaughtered innocent people, God will slaughter them. They will get what they deserve. A just retribution. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Obadiah 15 says the same. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. They will get what they deserve. As they dished it out, they will be fed what they fed others. We'll see more of this later. Human wisdom is worthless and Dangerous. It leads to destruction. Human wisdom. Edom and people generally are fixated on trusting human wisdom. But we have warnings against it. Warnings against it. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. No wisdom, no might, no riches are a match. God. God is superior to all of them. So there's no point in boasting in men, man's wisdom. First Corinthians 1: 18 to 25. First Corinthians 1:18 to 25 118. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. The word of the cross is God's wisdom. But the world hates the word of the cross. They hate boasting in Christ, in the cross of Christ. They boast in their own ways, their own wisdom. But God will cut them all off. So there's no point. As the Apostle said, they will perish. The word of the cross is foolishness and they will perish if they refuse to believe in it. Then, if that's not an indictment enough, verses 10 to 14, their inhumanity. Isn't this what usually happens? The wicked like to tout and boast in their own humanity, their own love, their own goodness. The wicked like to do that. But actually, they are the very opposite, they have no humanity. And they have no love. Here, verses 10 and following. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. They perpetrated violence against Jacob. Notice who he is. Your brother Jacob. He means the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of of Esau were fighting each other and Esau exploited and committed violence unnecessarily against the descendants of Jacob when Esau and Jacob were brothers, Genesis chapter 25. But because of that, they will be covered with shame and be cut off forever. They shamed The righteous in this world, but God will shame them forever in the world to come. Humiliation and shame in the world to come. 1 John 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29 1 John 2:28 And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming If you know that he is righteous you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him If we are in him We will not shrink away from him in shame. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Verse 39. The last verse. 10, 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. We don't shrink back in shame, but we have faith and that faith preserves our soul. Obadiah 11, On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. What is it that they are doing? When the enemies of Judah and Jerusalem came to destroy They stood aloof while they watched strangers and foreigners destroy Jerusalem. They were complicit by being spectators. They should not have been spectators. They should have been defenders. But they were spectators watching the foreigners destroy Jerusalem. Not only that, but verses 12 to 14, they gloat and they loot. They gloat and they loot. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. They are gloating or rejoicing. They are giddy over the destruction of their brother Jacob, they shouldn't be giddy and gloaty over that destruction. Also 13, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. They're also looting, plundering, exploiting the resources of the people when the enemy destroyed them. They invaded the cities and took away their wealth. And 14. And do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. Those who weren't massacred in the cities, who were fleeing these fugitives, they are running for their lives, and what does Edom do? Instead of giving them refuge, instead of protecting them, they are happy to cut down and imprison their fugitives and survivors. To cut down, to kill the fugitives and imprison the survivors. When actually they should have been giving them food, water, shelter, clothing, and even defending them in the face of opposition. So they are truly guilty. Truly and fully guilty. So what do they deserve? 15 and 16. What do they deserve for their guilt? We'll see it in 15 and 16, but also in relation to the redeemed in 17 to 21. In 15, 16, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment is near. This is similar to Matthew 3, 2 and Matthew four seventeen. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2 and 4, 17. Repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's why he says the day of the Lord draws near. It's near. It's at hand. And not only for Judah, but also all the nations. All the nations need to repent now. And this repentance is imminent. This judgment is imminent. That's why people need to repent now. We cited Galatians 6 7. Remember that? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Whatever they've done, it will be done to them. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16. Revelation 16, this is a judgment coming on the wicked. We pick it up at verse 4, 16:4, 4, 4 to 7. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, righteous are you who are and who was, O holy one, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Verse 6, 16, 6 says, They deserve it. They deserve what they dished out to others. Which is also in Obadiah 16, because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. If you still have your your place in... Revelation, Revelation 19, Revelation 19, 15, 19, 15. This describes Christ at his return. Revelation 19, 15, and 16. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the kind of drink they will be forced to drink. He's going to make them drunk with his judgment. He's going to make them vomit with his judgment. They're going to be so full of the judgment of God is going to be sick and detestable, like looking at a drunkard who is so full of his wine and vomitous because of his overdrinking. God's going to force that on them. They're going to reel and wallow because of what they swallowed. seventeen. 17. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. On Mount Zion, who are these escapees? Who are these who are holy? Who is this house of Jacob? who will possess their possessions. These are the redeemed. These are the chosen, the elect, the believers in the gospel. From 17 to 21, interpreters have tried to determine whether this is referring to a literal incident in history after the time of Obadiah. Just as we saw with Hosea, Joel, and Amos, it becomes hard to find that literal universal fulfillment of these words. And because of that, the best explanation is that this has reference to the gospel's spread and what the church, what the elect do at the end of time. Mount Zion the escapees, the holy, the house of Jacob. We'll see more words like this in verse 18, house of Jacob, house of Joseph. In verse 20, the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel. In verse 20, the exiles of Jerusalem. In verse 21, the deliverers will ascend Mount Zion these have reference to the redeemed church, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. If we take it that way, then what will we do? Verse 18, then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. That means that we, the redeemed, will be fires and flames to burn the house of Esau as though we are burning stubble. And there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. When we crush them, when we punish them, when we judge them on the day of judgment, nobody's going to survive. How do we know? For the Lord has spoken. If God says it, it's true. Romans 3:4. Let God be found true, though every man a liar. 19. And this will be, 19 and 20, this will be a widespread, a widespread kingdom. And I think in verses 19 and 20, he's speaking of devastated and defeated places being re-inhabited. Devastated and destroyed places, barren places, desert-like places being inhabited because of people and prosperity, because of people and produce that will exist there. 19 and 20. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shephalad, the Philistine plain. Also they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. The Negev was a dry, arid wasteland It did have certain towns there. But generally speaking, it was uninhabitable. Generally speaking, the Negev, the south country, the southern part of Israel. But here, he says, they will possess the mountain of Esau. Those who are few and weak, those who don't have much power or money, they are going to possess Esau. And even the Philistines. And they're going to repossess Ephraim, Samaria, Gilead. Benjamin, that lives on the Jerusalem side of the Jordan River, will spread and sprawl so much that he's going to possess the northeastern side of the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan and north in Gilead, he's going to spread his wings that far. Um... And then the same here in verse 20. The Canaanites, often Canaanites is a reference to those who dwelt on the northwestern side of Israel in the area of later Phoenicia or modern Lebanon, uh, Lebanon and Syria. That side, which is on the northwest side, right there at the boundary or the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And then he has this other word here, Sephirod. This is an unusual word. It's not a common word. And what does Sephirod mean? Of what locality, location, or region is he talking about? What's interesting is that a couple of ancient translations, not modern, but ancient, by ancient I'm saying, at least 1,500 years, if not 2,000 or more years old, those translations, they say Sephiroth is Spain. Spain, all the way into Europe, Spain. Jews or believers, even Gentiles in Spain, they are the ones who will possess these barren places. And also in Jewish literature, they refer to Jews who live in Spain and similar areas as Sephardic Jews. There is a phrase, it's a well-known phrase called Sephardic Jews, and they are those that live in Spain in that area of the world. So there is some credibility to that, and it does fit with what we know elsewhere to be the case, that the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom of Christ, will spread and does spread from sea to sea. Let's see. Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a messianic or Christological psalm. In fact, in my edition of the New American Standard Bible, in verse 2, it says in the footnote for the prep uh, or the pronoun he, which is small h but it should be capital, in the margin they do have a capital he, capital h for he, and then they say many pronouns could be rendered thus as Psalm 72 typically refers to the Messiah. Psalm 72 is messianic. So if it's a messianic psalm, it's really describing Christ, then look at verse 8. Verses 8 to 11. May he, Christ, also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Shabbat and Saba offer gifts. And let all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. Remember, all of these pronouns, he and him, capitalize the H's. Also go down to 16, 16 and 17. May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon and may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines and let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. When it says in 17, let men bless themselves in him or by him, Does that not remind us of Genesis 12, verse 3, and Genesis 22, 18? Genesis 12, 3, and 22, 18, which says, and in you, or and in your seed, all the nations shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 3, and 22, 18. Remember, remember, Psalm 72, Christological Psalm, Obadiah 21. The Deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Who is the Lord here? The Lord Jesus. Psalm 72, Obadiah 21. The kingdom will be the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom He is the judge of the earth, Acts 17, 30 to 31. He is the judge, Acts 17, 30 to 31. But who are his officers? Who are his deliverers? Who are his exiles? Who are his survivors? Who is the house of Jacob, the house of Joseph? Who are are the Holy Ones, Mount Zion, living and dwelling on Mount Zion, who actually punish Esau and all the nations. Judge Esau and all the nations. Who are they? The church. The church. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. 1 to 3. Malachi chapter 4, 1 to 3. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor nor branch. Doesn't that sound like Obadiah 18? Verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Who's the Son of Righteousness? S-U-N, Son of Righteousness with healing. It's Christ, Christ Jesus. And because of him, We will be like calves skipping and going forth from the stall. When calves, these young uh, cattle, are in the stalls for a while, and then they are released, they want to exert, and they are energetic, they want to exert their energy, their feet, and they skip about and run here and there, right? We will be like them to what end? Verse three, and you will tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. We, we are going to tread down. We're going to stomp on the wicked. They're going to be ashes to us. We're going to stamp on them, stomp on them, tread them down. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3, 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more matters of this life? We ought to know, based on the Old Testament, that we are going to judge the world and we're going to judge angels. Just like we just read in Obadiah 18, Obadiah 21, Malachi 4, 1-3, and elsewhere in the Old Testament. He says we ought to know this, that we're going to judge the world, not just Esau, but the whole world and the angels, the wicked angels, we will judge them. Revelation 3, verse 9. Revelation 3, 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet, and to know that I have loved you. God will make all of these wicked people come to bow down at our feet and also know that God has loved us. God's going to make them do that. That's just like Philippians 2, 5 to 11, that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow, those in heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will make it happen. He will force it upon them. There will be no free will on that day. And one more. Romans 16, 20. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Amen.